Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. Refuge, you guys can be dismissed. Just clear the church out. Welcome to the adult Bible class, right? Oh. We're in big little books, part 42. We're going to look at Micah 5, finish that up and go into Micah 6. I need to give some announcements first of all. Generation Sunday is September 11th. I know this is Labor Day weekend. Some of you guys are going off and doing your thing. Uh, have at it. I, I'm with you. I wish I, I was going somewhere, but I'm not. Uh, but y'all have a good time, and uh, go Tigers uh, s- Sunday night. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. We'll come. You come up front, represent all the Tigers. We'll pray for you on Sunday. Coach Kelly and the team. That's just, I know some of you are like, that's sacrilege, Pastor. Stop it. That's just because that's not your team. I understand. We got Florida fans and stuff like that, whatever. Um uh, Volunteer weekend. To all of you who serve in some capacity here, September the 17th, we have volunteer weekend with Rick and Valerie Hughes from Oklahoma. Oh, it is going to be so very good. Life groups are going on. I know y'all are having a blast with that. Uh, Literally, we're having a blast with the gun group. Uh, Yeah. Woo. Wow, that's been fun. All right. Let's see. uh, uh, I've already said prayers. Whatever. Oh, you may be seated. Let's do some review and introduction. Uh, so uh, we let me read this verse to kick it off. When the Assyrian comes into our land and when he treads in our palaces, uh, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. They shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. So we looked at this last time when the Assyrian prophecy has an immediate application, an intermediate application. I got a fancy word for you, a penultimate application and an ultimate application so it's 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 got layers like an onion and in these verses Micah blends the near and the distant the threat of the Assyrians was just around the corner yes but Micah used the idea of the Assyrian definite article in front of it to reference any nation or empire that would rise up against God's people. And I mentioned last time, some see the Antichrist in this verse as possibly being from the borders of ancient Assyria. Tony Garland of spiritandtruth.org makes some comments on this, uh, this, as well as Merrill Unger, uh, who's, if you've been around Bible study, you know he's renowned, prolific, Bible scholar, uh, archaeologist from days gone by, uh, check this out. He says, one of the problems with the idea that this passage found its fulfillment in events near to Micah's time is that Israel was not delivered from Assyria. 
the northern kingdom fell to them in 722 B.C. In other words, Israel did not, quote, lay waste with the sword the land of Assyria, from verse 6. Thus, there must ultimately, or penultimately, be a reference beyond 722 B.C. Uh, in, in his purview here. Merrill Unger, he says, says this, the Assyrian, as we find in the prophecy of Isaiah, another prophet, sets forth the enemies that shall come against the nation of Israel in the last days. In Micah's day, the Assyrian, the Assyrian was brutal, and he did take the northern kingdom into captivity. Micah envisioned the time when the Assyrian would invade the land of Israel seeing in briefer perspective what the prophet Ezekiel later saw in detail. I know I'm getting in the weeds a little bit, but if you are listening, you can check out Ezekiel 38, 1 through 39, uh, and so forth. So Ezekiel seeing the destruction of Israel's last foes, Gog, Magog, Russia, some federation from the north, and this is right before the rise of the Antichrist and his armies. And there is a millennial peace. This is going all the way to the millennial reign of Christ, where Messiah will take care of them. Daniel 9, 27 comes into effect. We looked at the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation. Zechariah also speaks of Assyria, re referring to nations that gather against God's people. And uh, I won't go... Uh, all up into that, but just suffice it to say that there's an immediate application, an intermediate application, a penultimate, and finally an ultimate application when it comes to prophecy. Check this out. We will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. So we began this. I want to go a little bit deeper into it. Though the enemies of God's people would come against them, God would raise up leaders. Everybody say leaders. Human beings. People. God would raise up leaders. Human beings. People to help deliver them, Israel that is, from the enemy. And I just was looking at that, and sometimes we look to God, we're like, God, we need you to do something, and often the way God does it is he raises up leaders to help us, to get us out of the snare of the fowler, out of the hand of the enemy, out of darkness into this marvelous light. Angels don't preach the gospel. Jesus himself didn't come back and preach the gospel other than through the body of Christ, which is people human beings, and in the body of Christ even, there is what is called often the five-fold ministry, the five-fold ministry. And uh, I, I thought I would take a slight detour here and uh, kind of deal with this. Look at Ephesians 4, and let's start with verse 8. Ephesians 4 is this okay? Are you with me? Okay. Even if you said, no, this is not okay, I would say, I'm sorry, I'm going to do it anyway. But, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, 
This is speaking of the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. He led captivity captive. That's a great verse. That's a great concept. And, and I don't have time to get into it, but he led captivity captive. And now captivity being led captive, that's a big, big deal. That's the Old Testament saints coming out of their holding tank, coming out of the bullpen and coming onto the field, coming into the place where, where the New Testament saints would go as well. This is, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men, gifts to men. Now this, and he has this parenthetical expression, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Everybody say epic. This is epic stuff right here. Epic stuff. And along with that, it says, here's something just as epic. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Fivefold ministry. Now, some will equate pastor and teacher as being one and whether you do or not, you got a fourfold, and one guy's doing two things. I just like the fivefold ministry. It's like a hand. It's like a hand. The fivefold ministries. Notice again apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Four, what's the reason why they were given? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So I just said, Jesus Christ himself doesn't come down and go preach the gospel. He doesn't personally disciple people. He doesn't say, hey, I want to go through the Bible with you and teach you a Bible study. He doesn't say, let me help you grow in your faith. Here are some concepts you need to consider. He doesn't do that except in the body of Christ. And within the body of Christ, there is a five-fold ministry that helps the body of Christ become what it's supposed to be and do what it's supposed to do. Are you with me? Don't underestimate. And notice what happens. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. We should mature. We're not tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, some dillweed saying something that you heard on the radio, and you're like, I think that's true. Can, can I use that? Is that a bad word? I don't know if it is or not. But Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, What's God's defense against that? The fivefold ministry. What's that? Well, again, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. So the fivefold ministry is helping every part of the body of Christ function as it should so it can bring something to the table and release it that makes the rest of the body of Christ stronger and more nimble. According to the effective working by which every part does, its share causes growth of the body of Christ for the edifying of itself and love. And he goes on and on and on. So the fivefold ministry is very, 
significant. It grieves me when I hear people say, and they're trying to be nice, it's usually an older saint trying to talk about a younger preacher or pastor that they have, and they say, our preacher's a good little preacher. All right, we got it. We got ourselves a good little preacher. And it's, it's really just kind of like, are you serious? Now, I get it. There, there are some, uh, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to go down that path, but, but for the most part, let me just basically put it like this. What a pastor should be is grounded. He should be founded. He should be ordained. By the way, and they've already left. You got to tell them afterwards. Sienna and McGuire both just got, not their local, but their general license with the United Pentecostal Church International yesterday. It's just awesome. They, they skipped, they leapfrogged over the local level, went to the general level because of their education and their experience, and they were approved by the board. But that's what I'm talking about. There was a group of men, and I was one of them, that, that signed off and said, I think they are worthy of this. They've proven themselves. They bring something to the table. Those men agreed, thought the same thing, and, 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 and ordained them in a sense. They're not ordained yet, per se, but they're on that path. And, and th- that's what I'm saying. They're ready. They're moving. So when, when a pastor is just seen as, as uh, our little preachers, he just preaches on Sunday. And we cheer and we clap and we go home. And he has no input into the discipline of my life and my growth in Christ. That guy's not my pastor. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to need a pastor to get to heaven. When I preach like this, and you don't hear me preach like this very much, people, they clam up. They're like, oh, my God, he's self-aggrandizing. You know, you have. I'm just going to tell you, you've got to have somebody in your life that has a veto power that says, no, you shouldn't do that, or yes, you should do this. Now, he said, and, and like, where are you getting this from, Micah? He said there's going to be shepherds and princely men that are raised up to lead you to the victory that you deserve, that, that you don't deserve, but God's giving you in spite of yourself. Pastors, shepherds. Same word, shepherd, pastor. They're like, oh, I got a good little preacher. You know, he's a good little preacher. He's, he's just, you know, and, and I feel like sometimes, you know, it's like, um, I wish I had a pen up here. I'd write it. But it's like I preach, and it's like I, I just, I feel like some people are going like, that's a six, you know, six, four, eight. Mm. And, and it's like a judging contest rather than what saith the Lord. And you're like, well, you don't have a pastor. Yeah, I do. You don't know me. I do have a pastor. I got a pastor, and he has veto power in my life. I spoke with him this week about some situations. He has veto power in my life, and he knows it, and, and respects me and, and talks to me and helps me. You don't need a little preacher to preach little sermons. You need a man of God to help you, to shepherd you, to help you navigate your walk with God. All this epic stuff we read about, a pastor is a gift from God to you. Some people resent the pastor, and they're like, there's money issues, there's power issues, it's all this kind of stuff. And I'm telling, if that's you, you're not going to be able to receive what you need to receive from your pastor. you got to get rid of that, man. 
Well, I had a bad experience. Who cares? Everybody has a bad experience. You still need a pastor. I had a bad experience with a pastor. And I was, I was 19 years old trying to piece that situation together. I had problems with pastors. And I thought my current pastor was not the smartest guy in the world when I first met him. And then I realized he's dumb like a fox. He, he feigns ignorance at times. And he's super smart. And he knows what's up, and he's got discernment, and the, the gift of God flows through him. And, and Brother Dean has just been awesome. Uh, and so let me say this too. 2 Timothy, let me read this. 2 Timothy, I didn't put it. Uh, I have the note here, but I don't have the verse copied and pasted in my uh, digital notes here. But 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, I'm in King James Thomas. It doesn't matter, though. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, verse 1, by the will of God. Here's an apostle. See that? Apostle. By the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Now, this wasn't his biological son. This was a spiritual son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that's in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that's in you also, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands. For God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He goes on and on. But notice this. Stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands. God didn't come down and put hands on Timothy. He used Paul's hands. The gift was not Paul's, it was God's. Are you with me? And it was a gift that needed to be stirred. The laying on of hands, we see that. We just did it up here, and we have all kind of, you know, it's like a ritual to us. We understand it's part of what we do religiously, but th there's significance in it. it. When hands are laid upon, especially in an area like this, this, he's not praying for him to be healed. I pray, Timothy, you'd be healed from this situation. There was a gift imparted through the laying on of hands, and it indicates a, a yielding by Timothy to his spiritual father, per se, which was Paul. He was submitted to him. He was learning from him. He was growing from him. So the very fact that Paul laid hands on him means Timothy stood there, and that was a sign of their relationship, that he was receiving from God through this man. Does that make sense? 
And I promise you, every gift that you have, every fear that you face, if you have a man of God in your life, and I could say a woman of God in your life, but I'm just being, if you have a man of God in your life, you hear what I'm saying, God can impact you, he can gift you, and he can deal with fear. He can help you become who you're supposed to be. As a matter of fact, you never will become who you're supposed to be if you as a Timothy do not have a Paul in your life. And, and it's not a surrogate. It's not like somebody speaking for the pastor, you know, like, uh, well, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so is like so smart. And they've been down the road and, and that kind of thing. I, I'm just going to tell you, a man of God can't help you. A pastor can't help you if you don't communicate to that pastor. People must think that I have dreams and visions like all the time. God's speaking to me constantly. I'm driving down the road and God's saying, Donovan, uh, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. And I'm like, hold on, God. Let me, let me, uh, I got to pull over and take uh, notes, you know. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't. Very rarely do I get an, and I get those. Let me put a little fear in you right now. I get those. I've told Valerie years and years ago in Maryland, one of the first times it happened, we were pastoring, and I said, that old boy, he's smoking dope. And when I tell you this, a very successful, very well put together, making a lot of bank, long-time job, you would never guess, grandfather, uh, I mean, I said, mm, uh, he's, he's, he's smoking, he's, I'm telling you. She's like, no way. There's no way. Sure enough, get a phone call. Lost his job. Pastor, we got an issue. Funny you should say that, you know. And, and I helped walk them through that. But God gave me an indication. I've had that happen several times in my ministry where God spoke to me. Something that seemed like crazy. But I was like, oh, let's. And some, a couple times I was able to say, hey, let's talk to you. About, I want to talk to you about this. What? You know, <laughs> it's crazy how that works. But it doesn't happen that way all the time. But if you talk, if you communicate, Pastor, I'm dealing with something. I've got an issue. I promise you, this, this church, as, 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 you know, big as this big old church is, it ain't too big that I can't make some time. I will make time for any of you. I'll connect, and I'll help you any way I can. And if you'll give me a chance, I can pray about it. I can seek the face of God for you. I'm going to give an account to God for you, not brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. God's looking to me. I'm not authorized and deputized everybody and his brother to, to do all the uh, counseling and, and laying on of hands and all that. And I'm not saying the body of Christ doesn't do the body of Christ uh, stuff, you know, which is flow in the Spirit and all that. But I, I promise you, a pastor in your life is vital. Does that make sense? Can I be a pastor and talk about that stuff? Nobody wants to deal with that. Pastors don't. I get it. We, we, have, we have a lot of preachers and a lot of wannabe spiritual advisors. We have a lot of walls, but we don't have a lot of watchmen that watch. For people's souls. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, if, if you don't want to, you know, embrace what I'm saying, you don't have to. But I promise you, your life doesn't have to be as complicated as it may be 
you can have some help. And it's, there's a spiritual flow with that. All right. Um, well, there's my little detour. Verses 7 through 9. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like shout. Boy, I got real quiet when I did that whole little. Let me just do a selah. Just consider that. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that tarry for no man, nor wait for the sons of men, that that tarry for, for no man, nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, who, if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces, and none can deliver. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. The remnant of Jacob, let's go through that. The remnant of Jacob, like dew from the Lord. When God delivers Zion, the idea is this. It won't be a small deliverance. It's going to be widespread, like the dew. It's been raining every day, except today here, where I was. It didn't rain on me today. Every day since July 4th, from what I can see, it's been raining somewhere around here. Just miserable. Do you see our jungle back here? And, and it's just gotten wetter and wetter and wetter. It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. The taller the grass got, the wetter it stayed. And so uh, bottom line is uh, the, the dew and the rain, it's not just like, oh, there's some dew here. Remember when Gideon gave that fleece to the Lord, you know, let some dew come here and not here. It, like when the dew comes, it's everywhere. It's, and so when the Lord answers, that's the idea. It's, it's going to be all over. It's, it's going to, to be a uh, widespread event. Then he says, like a young lion among flocks of sheep. So when God delivers Zion, it's not a weak deliverance. So it's widespread and it's strong. And God will strengthen Israel so that she will triumph over her enemies. Like a lion against a sheep. No contest. And then we're going to see that ultimate fulfillment in the millennial reign of Christ. We've talked about that. And you'll remember in the millennial reign, the lion... And the lamb are side by side. So here's the idea. The, uh, it's interesting. We've, we've talked about from last time, the Lord is my shepherd. Really, the Lord's a lion. He asked us, you know, the lion from the tribe of Judah. He asked us to go out as lambs among wolves. He was like a sheep also before her shearers. And he asked us to go out like sheep among wolves. And the Lord is our shepherd, which is our pastor, but he's also given to us pastors. It's interesting. And we will, in the end, triumph like lions. Verses 10 through 15. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images I will cut off, and your sacred pillars from your midst. You shall no more worship the work of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst. Thus I will destroy your cities, and I will execute vengeance in anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. Wow, that's pretty drastic. I will cut off your horses, the cities of your land, your stronghold, sorceries, carved images, sacred pillars. The idea is in this restored Zion, this, this place of the Lord, the Lord will not allow 
any of the idolatries that Israel indulged in to continue. Instead, he's going to cut off all those things. And even good things like the horses and the cities, they were corrupted. There's nothing wrong with a horse, right? Mr. Ed, you know, hello. There's nothing wrong with a horse. Black Beauty, there's nothing wrong with a horse. Secretariat, I don't want to get into those ponies, but there, there, sometimes there's something wrong with a horse. But there's nothing wrong with a horse in and of itself. Uh, but the horses and the cities have been corrupted by the sorceries and sacred pillars. And, of course, the source uh, of the corruption was those sorceries, those false gods and whatnot. He said, I will execute vengeance on the nations that have not hurt. God will not only make sure Israel walks the straight and narrow, but in the ultimate fulfillment of this, the other nations will walk that as well. Now we're in chapter 6. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Are you with me? It's 8 o'clock. We're almost done. Isn't this exciting? Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountain, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Wow. This is Israel dragged into a courthouse. And the Lord is going to plead the case. He's, he's, he's going to state his complaint, the idea is. He's going to state his complaint against Israel, and they're going to have to plead their case. Micah's got this whole court of law picture in mind. And you've got unshakable witnesses, the mountains, the hills, the strong foundations of the earth. You know, hear ye, hear ye. Here comes the judge. Court is in session. The Lord has a complaint against his people he is contending with Israel. So in his court, God brings the case. And so how would you like to be in that court? And God's like, I got a case against Ron Stoll. Ron, I've got a case against you. Hear us, oh, bayous of the Southland and cypress trees, you know, like, listen up, alligators. We've got something to say. Verses 3 through 5. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Testify against me, for I brought you from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent you Moses, Aaron, Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. What in the world? He says, testify against me. As Israel steps up to the witness stand, God says, what have I done to you? I ain't done nothing but good to you. But you've rebelled and rejected me. It's miserable. He said, I redeemed you from the house of bondage. So not only had God not done evil to them, but he had done good to them. He had redeemed them, given them godly leaders. We've talked about that. And, and he's, so God's case against Israel is strong, and Israel's guilty in this prophet's course. He said, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled. This is from Numbers 22 and 24, the chapters. He, he tells a story. that You see that there in Numbers of Balak and Balaam. So after meeting with the king, Balak of Moab, Balaam prophesied over Israel four times. He's been offered cha-ching, 
if he will just curse the people of God. And so that's what he's trying to do, but he doesn't. Instead, he blesses them each time. And, and, and when, when he's unsuccessful, you know the search where he beats the donkey and, and, and the, he's, trying, he's, he's wanting the, the money so bad, but God will not let him curse the children of Israel. And you know why he won't let them curse the children of Israel? Because they're not cursed, they're blessed. And so God sends an angel that the donkey sees and Balaam doesn't see. And the donkey, isn't it funny how some, you know, a donkey can see sometimes what we can't see. A donkey of all things. And the donkey's like, uh, I ain't going there. And, and Balaam's like beating the animal and and the Lord opens his mouth and he turns around and he's like, why are you beating me? What? It's like Shrek, you know. Like, why, are you, why are you beating me? What's up? And what happened was the angel of the Lord is standing there and, and, and all of a sudden, like it dawned on Balaam, the angel has a sword. And if I curse what God's blessed, this angel's going to cut me down. And so that's why I couldn't do it. But check this out. Balaam answered Balak on how to bring Israel under a curse. I know how to get them cursed. Get them to do stupid stuff. Get them to abandon their leaders. Get them to walk away from truth. As a matter of fact, he said, if you will just do what I say, if you'll get these Moabites to come close to them and to, if you'll get the young ladies to seduce the young men, and so they become sexually active, and they start having kids. And, well, they're going to abandon the one God of Israel, and they're going to pursue these false gods, and they will become unfaithful to the covenant. And as a result, they're getting out of the umbrella of protection from God, getting over here where the curse just comes on them. So what he couldn't do by just words cursing them, he got them to do to themselves where they... They just got stupid. They got rebellious. They got disobedient. And they got themselves in a jam through sexual immorality and idolatry. As a result, there was a plague of judgment. 24,000 died. Uh, and the, the idea is, is Israel has to remember God is never going to curse Israel. But if they get into idolatry and disobedience, well, they've opened themselves up to the curse. But it's not on God. It's on them. And I would say that's on us too. You know, you can open yourself up to a curse. But people don't want to hear it. Lord have mercy. I better start closing. Won't somebody come? Send me a musician. Um, life. You know, I say it all the time. God, stand with me right now. God is good. And the devil's bad. And you don't have to have some kind of weird definition of good and bad. God's good. Devil's bad. And often we get ourselves in a pickle, in a tough situation. And it's always good to take a self-inventory. And saying, God, have I missed it somewhere? Is there a root of bitterness in me? Am I dealing with unforgiveness? Have I, have I 
What have I done? Is it me? You'll never go wrong doing that. Today, Valor's going to kill me for saying this, but who cares, right? I'm cursed. Today, I was uh, sitting on the couch this evening, sunlight's in a window. And you know how when you're, when you're walking like in a field somewhere and you see all those little bugs like going like, just kind of like a little cluster of little tiny bugs just kind of flying around? And you, and you don't want to walk through them. You're like, good Lord, you know. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know. Well, I'm sitting there on the couch, and I'm looking, and I don't see too good. So I'm looking, and I'm like, is that like little bugs in the sunlight, the light beams? And she looks, what are you talking about? It was like you could barely see it. She's like, oh, that's just dust. I'm like, Wow. Like, the place looks clean. Dust is blowing around in my house. I used to sell vacuum cleaners. I talk about dust mites, right? I, I understand. No matter how clean your life may be, I bet if you do a soul search, you're going to find some dust. So it doesn't hurt. It might not be the cause of what you're going through, but it doesn't hurt to sweep around your own front porch. You know what I mean? To, to get rid of some of that stuff. And, and so here you have in the book of Micah, the Lord's making the case. He's like, what you're dealing with, it's because you got off track and you never repented. You never course corrected. And your life is miserable don't blame me look at yourself and I guess that's what I'm getting out of Micah tonight Donovan don't blame me look at yourself alright Lord let's take an inventory I'd rather blame Valerie <laughs> I'd rather blame somebody else I'd rather blame God the devil but sometimes you know what I mean Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's right here. But it doesn't take long to get that straightened out. Father, I confess my sin. And you said if I would, you would be faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I'm so grateful. I am so thankful. God, I want to get my attitude in check. I want to get, I want to get the, 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 the stuff out, Lord. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to make it right. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. That's all it takes. And then begin to act on that because faith without works is dead. Just begin to act on it. Okay, God, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to undo that. I'm going to get this straightened out. And God can make it right. And... I'll, I'll close. He has shown you, O oh man. Verse 8. I skipped the verse, but notice. He's, sh he's shown you, O oh man, what is good. What's the Lord require? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly before your God. It's not complicated. That's the bottom line. They're like, you want thousands of sheep and 
bottles and bottles of anointing oil. You want all this stuff. It's so complicated. He's like, no, it's not. I just want you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. We'll deal with that next time. But I feel like that's kind of a word for us right now. Could you close your eyes, Father? Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.